Hey, guess what? We're doing the Week in IndyCar listener guest show. That's right. I say the listener guest show because listener said, hey, you haven't had Shank on in a while. So we got to have him in there. And so we did. Michael Shank, you being the co-owner of the Meyer Shank Racing NTT IndyCar Series team. Also a certain little IMSA team as well. We know that our listeners here on our podcast brought you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Love it when you pay a visit. Speaking of paying a visit, I might get to see a socially distanced version of you in about two weeks when the mm-hmm. uh, the mighty MSR treks from Ohio to WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca for a little IndyCar test. Am I right? Yes, sir. Glad to be back uh, for the third or fourth time, I think, on this, which is great. Um, yes, that's right. So March 1st, we have our first uh, test that will have two MSR IndyCars on the track at the same time. It's a pretty epic moment for us in our life cycle of racing here. It was big enough just to get one on the on the road a few years ago, and now to have two is a pretty cool deal and exactly where we want to be. So we, we look forward to it. a little little uh, anxious about it. I want to get out there and be ready and have a successful day for Jack and Elio. But um, uh, I think we're well, well, re- well ready for it and um, just hope the weather – uh, cooperates with us i won't tell you that it is uh blue skies and actually you could wear shorts right now knowing that you're in 19 <laughs> feet of snow uh, we are <laughs> i should also mention you said you think this might be your third or fourth appearance i just checked this is your ninth <laughs> oh geez okay and that's it not including so well. yeah who the hell are yous and some of the other non indycar related stuff we've done so yeah uh good lord i almost 13 appearances you made on the show overall um, it's like uh robin williams on the tonight show you know how many times was he on that something like that so. episode 39 i'm looking here mike i mean okay. this is this will be episode 1046 you're uh oh, you're a podcast OG, my man. You're I episode thirty nine, July first, wow. twenty sixteen, talking about lessons from your twenty four hours of Lamar debut. So how do you like wow. that? Wow, that's a that's deep. That goes way back. Well in the podcast world anyways. Yeah, well, and I was late to the game, so hey. Anyways, as usual, great questions from our listeners. So great. why don't we uh, get rolling here? Starting off talking about some old Brazilian, I think you found on the unemployment line, maybe? Not totally <laughs> sure. Uh, Dan Gallagher says, hey, how does sliding Elio from opening the season at Barber Motorsports Park back a little bit to the uh, new Nashville street race, how does that change things for you in terms of preparing for, say, the Indy 500? Uh, and how does it impact development plans for the season? It's an interesting one. Instead of having Elio there day one race one, uh, he's going to be rolling into the team a little bit later than expected in terms of on-track competition. There's two, there's two main answers to that question. The first one is it really allows us to prepare his 500 car, which is priority number one for us to be at the highest level it can possibly be at. <clears throat> so it took the noose around our neck a little bit looser and allowed for time for that. But also my thought is based on when, when they moved – the races to September, the three in a row, essentially in September. When I looked at this, I looked at August and September. I could have 
Elio in the car five of six weeks, uh, mm. five of six races. And I just like that momentum for him and for us, to be honest with you, so that we get to do the last bit of the season pretty full on, pretty full time. And uh, again, I'm trying to position it for he and us to be um, peaking at the same time. It's not ideal to start with the Indy 500, and, and I can certainly see po- why people wonder about that decision. But from a preparation side, it did help us for sure. And, of course, the second reason is that shift to the end of the season will keep him in the car often in the last seven weeks. I know we've spoken about this before. I don't remember if we did it on the show or not. Tell me about the energy of an LEO coming into your team. You bring plenty of energy on your own. Tell me about at least initial influence of having an outsider, right? Someone you, you, while you've known him, you've never known him as a force within the team, whether it's his words, his character, his energy. What's it been like having him in and around? How has he infused something new or different in uh, Meyer Shank racing already? Well, just the, you know, and anyone will tell us that worse with Elio is his enthusiasm is over the top. And, uh, I, and sometimes you need that little energizer hit to, to get engaged or get more engaged into whatever you're doing. So immediately he fits into our team without question and uh, brings God, not only a ton of experience, but a ton of personality, which, you know, we could use once in a while. And I really appreciate that side of it. I mean, it's already, it's already showing. It's already, you know, I've already had him with sponsors. I've already had him with, you know, it's already happened. Right. And he's just exactly as good as he, uh, you would think he would be when you when you work a room and you meet people and you're networking and, and you know he is the guy you want there. And on top of that, he's still very damn fast. He just proved that at the Rolex 24 in Wayne Taylor's car. And um, and I think I I think there could be could be some interesting results this year. And um, um, I'm glad we went the way we went. You know, it was, you know, we you and I talked about this. So, you know, young guy, older guy. What are we going for here? We went this way. And uh, I'm really excited to see where it goes. Stick with this trend a little bit. This theme, I should say, our pal Harisha Dishbon says, curious, curious about anything new that Elio might have brought in to help the team. And he also asks, have you found any synergies between your new IMSA DPI program and the IndyCar programs technically? And that just being a modification, right? Because you've been running in IMSA for many years, but of the last, what, three or four. So it's been in the GT class. So anything jump out with uh, the new DPI Acura RX 05s where you go, Oh, cool. Here's a little crossover, a little something we picked up that we could use both ways. Yeah. There's nothing specific car wise, but there is things organizationally that we brought over from IndyCar into the uh, uh, sports car program, Uh, just because we think it makes it run better, cleaner, more efficient, more communicative. There's definitely things that transfer over in there, how we set up, how we set down, transfer of information amongst the crew. There's all kinds of software now we use to move information around. Some of that started in IndyCar also. The one other part of that question is what has Elio brought to our table or has he already? And the answer is yes. You can imagine how thick his book is of 20 years of with, you know, arguably the top team in the, in the, in the series. And it can be anything from steering wheel size to rack ratios to pedal positions to, you know, what's important, what's not to worry about. When to, I mean, there's just tons of things that he has in his head that he'll 
he just remembers or notes he has somewhere, you know. And um, that's, again, that's one of the reasons we went with him. Let's see. Where else should we go? All right, we're going to go to a related but different theme, non-Elio specific. Sounds like someone's uh, putting up a picture maybe in the back. No, it's all good. Hey. He'll be done in a second. We're, uh, we're putting a new furnace in the office here with I zero bet. degrees. It's got to work. Sorry about that. Sorry. Cares. That Look, I got cats meowing on the show all the time. I got ambulances rolling by usually. It's, it's okay. all good, brother. This is real. This isn't a studio setting, right? This is just racers it. talking about it. racing. Um, yep. Our pal Justin Holmes says, Mike, how close is the program being able to run a second IndyCar for a full season and as you answer that, is this plan for the second car that's rolling out this year, is this something you plan on managing like you did with Jack's car for your very first outing, knowing that you had a year-by-year year, X amount of races, then we're going to add a few more the next. Have you come up with a similar graduated plan for the second car, or are you hoping to get that sucker full-time ASAP? As, as we sit here today, our plan is to bring along just like uh, we did with uh, with Jack's program. Uh, unless something changes financially, we're going to take it as we can afford it, and it makes sense, and we'll move it forward. If the right package came along, partner that wanted to be in the series full-time and we could put the dollars together to make sense of it, uh, we'd absolutely do it. Okay. One thing we have to balance a little bit is the useful life of the equipment we own, Marshall, meaning – when or when can we expect changes from IndyCar for these cars? And you kind of have to balance the dollars with when you're going to have to invest more big dollars in the equipment, if you follow what I'm saying. Yeah. So the, how much sense does it make to, to power up for a big effort in 22 when everything changes, or not everything, but a big chunk of things change in 23? So it's a delicate, especially now, this is how we survive and try to make good decisions financially. When is it the right time? Uh, in the series to expand to two cars and and it can be tricky because we're trying not to lose money doing this. Right. So uh, it can be tricky if we only have a one year time period to use the current stuff, if that's the way it turns out, which we don't totally know what that looks like yet. It was going to ask on that theme, Mike. So if we look at what you did with Jack's car, uh, starting in 2017 through 2020, if we look at the number of races per year, it was, it went what, one, six, ten full. So if Correct. we followed that pattern with the Elio mobile, you're skipping the one and going straight to the six or so, I believe. Um, That's right. Obviously, could graduate that to a, a larger number next year and whatnot, but you're mentioning of changes coming. Love to get some thoughts on that, Mike, because although we have IndyCar being firm and saying, new hybrid engine package coming in 2023 the the bits that make the car go forward those are going to be new still a bit of a question mark as to how much of the rest of the car will change in 23 to work with and and be adequately sized to deal with the extra power and such when will the new chassis be coming what are your thoughts on, on how this if you could give input to indycar how the timeline would work to bring new parts and pieces along 
And how much of that 23 car, or I should say, how much do you think the car is going to change beyond just the hybrid system in the new internal combustion engine in 23? How much of the rest do you think is going to need to change to deal with it? Well, the the answer is, the short, short answer is I'm not totally sure yet, but what I can tell you is the greatest thing that Roger and uh, Jay Fry have done through this whole process is talk to us a lot, right? So they recognize that it's hard on teams to start with new cars for clean slate. And Jay has preached this for two years when, when we do make changes, they want to phase changes in and that type of stuff. I don't know to what extent we can expect now, to be honest with you. Uh, but we know some stuff are coming. We certainly know about the hybrid engines like everyone else. So it just puts a little bit of caution on our side until we know what that totally looks like. But what I appreciate about what they're doing, uh, Jay and Roger, is that they are being pretty communicative with us. So I think we'll know that very soon, and we can make some decisions on based on what they think. But I feel like that they have our best interests in mind. And if, if it doesn't, you know, they're trying to avoid us spending millions of dollars updating or buying new stuff. They're well, and that's been the greatest you know, thing about Jay Fry. I mean, he sat where I sit, obviously Roger has to, does and is now, right? But they understand to keep the front door open, we have to be cognizant of all these costs. I think, I think Jay's done a great job. And I mean, even if you look, even if you look, Marshall, at how he has got the schedule down to what I call a more efficient model for the teams. Um, meaning, you know, when do we really need to be in the track and when do we need to be out and, and saving us hotels and tires? And he's done a great job of that. So I don't know what the answer is totally yet. I'm just simply saying when we look at taking another car full time, that is a factor for us and how the, the phasing of, you know, whatever we do next, how that comes in, you know. Last thing on this, Mike. So everyone's known for a little while now that 2023 is meant to have this new hybrid power uh, package coming a little bit undetermined, as you mentioned on exactly when you'll be placing an order with Delara for a DW 24 or whatever it's going to be. Does it matter in terms of budget knowing these things are coming in the area of you being able to say set money aside or plan financially because as you said it's going to cost money you don't want to have to spend a trillion all at once but you know some big financial costs are coming every team owner knows that does advance warning help can you really truly sock money away or is that a myth yeah well it's not a matter of socking money away as much as planning what you're going to do, meaning is this the year to go out on a limb and run four more races, right? Or do we just need to be smart about this and wait until the year after that and then go for it because the investment makes more sense. So anytime we can amortize our investment equipment over a period of three years at least, I feel pretty damn good about it. But if I'm coming in for a one-year-only deal, it feel, it's pretty expensive knowing that we may have to change some things or may not, but – I have to make decisions based off it. So it's more, it's, it's not necessarily socking it away. It's just when we invest in the, 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 the principal equipment, when is that timing correct? You know? Um, and, and again, they've been super community. They've been very talkative with us on this and they're very aware of it. Um, it's just, you know, we just don't have all, we don't have the whole picture yet and I'm sure we will soon. Um, and we can make our choices and decisions based off, off of that. 10-4. Let's see. 
Katie Lewis, she says, Mike, what are your expectations for both drivers this season? And which race are you looking forward to the most? Um, that's a good question. Um, expectation wise for Jack is, you know, this is your Jack's year. We need, we need to, we need to have three or four or five top five finishes. We need to finish the top five or six in points. We need to try to get a win position ourselves at least to win a race. These are all the things that we expect now. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, that's just the way it is. We've been very good with expectations. I think all along with Jack's program and have met a lot of them along the way. Didn't get the results we wanted, but we certainly had the speed last year. So uh, we need to cash that in this year for Jack. And uh, there's no reason we should none, zero, zero reasons. So we look for that. Elio is just, you know, listen, he can finish in the top five if we position him there and give him a good enough car. So, you know, we, we think we can be certainly in the top 10 and top five, hopefully a couple times with Elio and uh, see where it goes from there at the 500. Uh, we have high expectations. We think, you know, the packages that, you know, the stuff we use from Andretti, uh, the technical alliance there really comes right for us. And, and, you know, we really match our cars to their car, um, their cars a lot in almost every facet. So we look forward to seeing where that goes. It's a good topic right there, Mike, in the Andretti autosport angle. They've undergone some changes during the off season, nothing crazy, right? We know yep. Marco's not going to be full-time. We know that Colton has moved uh, entries, although, granted, a vast majority of the people involved in his number 88 car, at least on the uh, pit lane side, have come with him. How have things changed, stayed the same, improved otherwise, now going into, what, year three, is it, of your relationship with uh, two. Andretti? Year two. Year, year two. Year yeah. two. Year yeah, two no, of no, technical lines. Uh, it's it's great. Uh, it's been good. Hasn't really faltered ever. I, I can't even remember a time where we had an absolute disagreement on anything. Or, or I felt like we weren't getting um, the information we needed to be successful. So uh, I scored a 99 just because nothing's perfect. Uh, out of a hundred. So um, <clears throat> our, we have the same, technically we have the same folks on our package, um, you know, this year, which is what we really insisted on with them. We've got to have the same people for two years in a row, which we've been able to do. And um, so far so good. And they've treated us uh, great in almost every way. Go to Kara Adams, our friend from Firestone. Sure. Uh, chief race tire engineer and just woman who does a lot of amazing things as well. Badass. Yeah. In yep. addition to separate from the, uh, trackside racing responsibility, she's also among the most active in our world in terms of bringing the sport to girls, young women, uh, frankly, as many people as she can, but especially trying to bring more inclusion uh, into our sport uh, through education sure. and whatnot. She's thrown a question in here, and it wasn't specifically for you, but I thought it might be interesting to include in this show. I might include it in next week's uh, listener Q&A episode as well. She says, can you talk about your thoughts on getting more people of color involved in the sport at all levels? Uh, she's saying this, recognizing in note that this is Black History Month. She says, from Force Indy to Penske mechanic Quentin Washington, by the way, Quentin, congratulations. He and his wife have a, a baby due here uh, not too far away. And 
Quentin has uh, focused more outside of racing on a, uh, a new small business of his own. But uh, Penske mm-hmm. Mechanic Quentin Washington to uh, PTSC Tire Changer Brandon, how do we make the sport more welcoming to people of color? I asked you before we started recording if you wanted to dive into this, Mike, and you said absolutely, which I love about you. What comes to mind? Well, the first thing is training. Like, we got to start much earlier with kids, you know? I, I don't care what nationality or race you are. We have to start earlier. Um, and, and and I think you'll see a push of that. I mean, the STEM programs and stuff are great, but I'm, I'm talking, you know, car people early on have to be taught or at least have some appreciation of cars when they're small, right? And it, and it has to start earlier than later. And, I, you know, you see that. I see this, you know, with a lot of the diversity and inclusion stuff, um, the biggest problem I see is just they're not trained up like they should be, and they need to get it earlier. So how do we do that? we got to have programs. We've got to have someone step up to help in programs like that to get these kids on board early, if that's what they want to do. If we have kids that are showing, whether they want to drive or engineer or pit or whatever they want to do, uh, give them opportunities uh, earlier in life. Um, don't totally know how to do that, but certainly have ideas. And uh, one of my partners and I are actually talking about that now to try to figure out if there's something we can do to help more in that area. There's more to come on that, Marshall. Not ready to talk about it, but uh, definitely a thing on my list to do before I'm done with racing, for me anyway. Let me add one or two quick things to this. And Kara, again, thank you. And uh, of course, this is something you would throw in for us to discuss, Kara, because this is who she is, which we uh, so greatly appreciate. Two main areas. You touched on one, Mike, which is, hey, I'm an IndyCar team owner. I'm a IMSA team owner. I have, I mean, what's the overall size of your, your uh, Meyershank racing team now in terms of numbers? How many people work for you mike it's dozens and dozens right not hundreds but i mean but <laughs> no, not hundreds but, but you have the... you have a lot of people that work for you there's a lot of opportunity yeah. you're always saying on this show and other shows hey if you want to get into racing and you think you've got some aptitude give us a call send us a resume not saying you're going to get the job but just saying don't be afraid to come talk to us and whether it's now never or sometime in the future Let's talk. This could be a thing for you. That willingness, your desire that you just mentioned that you'll tell us more about in the future of doing something to train and immerse young kids, kids of color, young women, etc. Right. Teams like yours, owners like you with a business and an ability to say, this is important to me. I have the ability to create an academy, the Meyershank Racing Development such and such, right? We're going to take two kids per year, whatever whatever you end up doing, you have the ability to do that and are deciding to do so. The deciding part is the first pillar here for all the teams yeah. in IndyCar and IMSA, run down whatever a person's favorite series might be. By and large, if it's a pro racing series, those teams have the ability to do something like this. So it's deciding to act. That's the first part. Second thing I would say, and this is, again, a bit of a generalism, but I know it to be true in my own life experiences, Mike, and I know uh, you would agree. You look at people from different ethnic backgrounds, 
different origin stories, right? Who are you? Who are your people? Where did they come from coming here to the United States? This is probably something that's different than my own story. Even if we have the same skin color, guarantee uh-huh. we've got different stories of evolution, cultural changes, views on the world, views on vehicles, how you should put them together, tips, tricks. You start thinking about, well, how do we get better as a team more often than not when you say, you know what, if everyone is like me, uh, maybe we're going to limit ourselves in our outright potential and capability because mm-hmm. instead it, it, so that's where the diversity angle comes from. You go, it's not just a diversity in terms of ethnicity, you know, your DNA profile. It's the diversity of where you came from, who you were raised by, the way that you see the world and the ways that it might be different, better, you name it, than others around you. All of a sudden, when you're sitting in a room and you have men, women, black people, white people, brown people, people of all colors and backgrounds, and it is inclusive in all possible ways, that's where you start to get better. Because instead of it being like-minded people all thinking the same thing from similar backgrounds, you go, wow, I might not have thought to solve that problem in the same way. And it might not might be how to bolt a left rear lower A-arm onto the car. It might be a managerial approach. It might be a mathematical approach. It could be all kinds of things. But the the approach to our sport of if you understand that the more people you have in your room that come from different places, different life experiences, different backgrounds, ethnicities, men and women together, that's where we actually get a lot better. That's the thing that I hope more people in our sport start to recognize. It's not a token thing. Oh, we need to hire a woman so we look diverse. Need to hire a black kid so we look diverse. It's they're going to bring things just like we bring things that are all different. Let's put them in a hopper and we're going to elevate and get better as a group. It's that mindset where you go, oh, that's why. That's why we should do this. Not tokenism, not anything else, but we actually get better when we get different voices, different people, different everything together in a group. That's how we improve. Hope that becomes a more pervasive mindset in our sport. Yes, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Well said. Absolutely. Let's go to EJ. Says, hey, Mike, in your Dinner with Racers episode, I believe you said you wouldn't run a full-time IndyCar because you wanted to have a life. <laughs> uh, he says, uh, what changed for you to want to run full-time? He says, or was this quote a result of too much Bud Light at the Copper Penny? And part two, have you bought the Copper Penny yet? For those who don't know, let's start with telling them about the Copper Penny. And we've actually had a couple of people wanting updates on the Copper Penny. Yes, we have. It has been sold recently, so it's out of my hands now, just for the general consumption of everybody. It is no longer the Copper Penny. Well, tell folks what the Copper Penny is, first of all, I should say. If you can imagine your favorite best place that's closest to your house, in my case, like a golf cart to it, and, uh, uh, you know, we go there and hang out and have fun, and, you know, it's right on the water, and, you know, it just feels like home, that kind of thing. And uh, so we did, uh, first episode I ever did with those guys was at the Copper Yep. And it was a good time. We had a lot of fun, got a lot of good reaction from it. And people kind of remembered the name, you know. 
and uh, it's been there since the 60s, I would say, at this little lake. And uh, it's been a great place for our family. Now, it recently kind of got shut down with the COVID and everything, and they sold it. And I did not buy it. They encouraged me to, but don't need another business in my life. But uh, I guess the other question was, why go full-time, you know, if it's going to disrupt and things like that? Well, it's just about... Um, for me, is um, had a, we had a chance to put a really good group of people together. We had a couple great partners, and uh, they were ready to move forward, and it was the right time for us. And sometimes, you know, I think I'm a little bit of a late bloomer here, uh, where I'm at, and you know, where you know, kind of my wife and I have built this thing, and then Jim came along, and now Liberty, and all these great people, and it just made sense for us. So, um, without question, it was the right time for us. It was a timing thing. Mentioned Liberty. I know when I asked about it last, you said, uh, maybe not the right time to go fully in depth into, uh, Liberty's involvement in the team. Have we reached that point where we can or should talk about it yet? Or is that still a future conversation? It's that'll be an episode in the near future. We can talk more about it. I love it. The Liberty episode with Michael Shank coming right up. Uh, let's see. Getting down to the last couple here. Jason Evans says with running two top programs, uh, here in North America out of the same shop. When do you plan on moving into building and so on a new shop? We know that you've broken ground, so maybe you can give us an update on when the new uh, uh, Shank Mahal or whatever this grand thing, uh, when that's going to be ready. Well, hopefully around June 1st or July 1st, and it'll be a gradual thing. Uh, we didn't have a choice because of the way COVID worked out, when we could go and when we couldn't go. and We just had to go. That's all I knew. And uh, we're out of room here at the current spot. So we'll get in hopefully around uh, June or July 1st, and we'll just gradually get over there and keep working through the season that we're in the middle of. But that's just the way, you know, life throws at us sometimes, you know. And that's um, uh, okay. It's It's a good thing. I haven't heard from an old acquaintance, uh, a pity hire of yours, that being Matt Swan in a while. Have <laughs> yeah. you uh, just buried him in the uh, cement and the foundation as you should? That I mean, we all were asking for you to do that. Well, we're working pretty hard, I can tell you that, but he's been a, another great addition to our team and uh, really happy to have him. A lot of experience there, and uh, we're working him to death, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> good good it's like a, a prison work release program with race cars i love it uh, <laughs> that's, that's it actually jared roberts put him in an orange jumpsuit by the way he deserves that uh jared roberts says mike overall in your career who has influenced you and or had the biggest effect on you in a professional way and he says you can't answer by saying your wife because we know she's the one who really does all the work she, um, no, she, she really does yeah, uh so true. he just says who would you consider a mentor that big influence in your career well you know there's there's different people we aspire to be and how we want to run the program you know and um certainly if i just looked and i said this before i really knew him like i do you know, i don't know him personally super well but certainly for roger and the way he's runs programs is a model for all of us team owners coming along and how things should be i don't mean just performance wise either much i'm talking about how you treat partners how you treat your equipment how you look visually to everybody um there's a bunch of lessons in all that and and my common you know it used to be i used to say you know what would roger do like what would he do with that piece of paper on the ground you know would he pick it up or would he walk past it you know and I think we all know what the answer is. And um, he's proven it in IndyCar and, and owning the group now. But uh, I would say early on, I, w- I was 
viewing toward doing as close as I could to that without question. Does he know that? Have you ever told that to I him? I don't know. I don't, he, I don't, I don't think don't. he listens to the podcast. He's got better things to do here. But uh, <laughs> I have no idea, to be honest with you. So I don't know. But I, I think I've mentioned it in my past. But you know, he's he, you know, he knows. You know, he doesn't know how much his effect can be. Maybe I guess is the best word, and it, it's pretty significant. I think so. Well, maybe the answer comes in the form of the next question. Matt Odlin asks. Bush light. Why? And maybe just send Roger a six pack with a bow on it yeah, as, as a token of, of appreciation. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I know we, I think we've asked and answered this before, but we always get newer listeners or those who are curious. So for those who don't know, uh, you might think that Shank is actually a made up last name. It's just a, a fake one because his last name is actually Bush due to all the Bush light that he drinks. Why Bush Light? When did you have your first Bush Light, Mike? And what is it about this beer that, uh, you know, um, let's just say it's it's the every person's beer. When did this end of your life and what made it become your jam? The real truth of it is that I'm just not a huge beer drinker. I mean, that's in, in so those big, thick IPAs. I just can't drink. So I found this to be the most easy on my body. And that is the, the plain truth of it. And uh, the next morning, I don't feel so bad. Wow! And when did uh, when did Bushlight enter your world? Don't so say funny. you were like seven, please. That'd be sad. No, 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 no. Of course not. It was around the Copper Penny time when we moved out to the lake full time. You know, really? Um, wow, yeah, okay. and yeah, it's a very common common deal out here at our lake in our county. So uh, it's the drink of champions out here. So the drink of champions. All right, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, two more questions to go. Uh, Oscar love says after watching the train wreck, that is the Daytona 500. He's curious. Is there an IndyCar track that costs the most terms of time? And, or if you were to have a crash at a particular IndyCar circuit, is there one where you go, Oh, that's going to be an expensive one. Well, in general ovals, whenever I'm on an oval, I'm, I'm, very anxious about that it kind of is what it is and you got to be prepared if it all goes wrong but anytime we're at an oval that doesn't mean bad things don't happen to other places right but ovals are just you take you ramp it up like watching the car go around texas in a tight pack you know can be nerve-wracking you know and um um i would say anytime ovals but not one particular because i actually do enjoy oval racing but it's just it's just tense you know let's go to our final from our pal Lance Snyder, person I refer to as the Minister of Mirth on my shows, Mike. He says, Mike, you have to do a drunken karaoke duet. He says, why do you pick Marshall Pruitt for the duet? And what song do the two of you sing? Probably, uh, I don't know. Gosh, what do we sing? I got to think about that. What are you into? Yeah, I don't know. To do some old um, old school rap, maybe like uh, Beastie Boys or something. I don't know. I I see you as more of a Van Halen karaoke guy. Am I off on that, or you know? No, some... you're coarse. You're you're dead on. You're dead on. Hot for teacher. You know, Molly. You know, hot uh, for Van teacher. Halen probably you would do. I do it. If I had to pick, if you're making me pick, and our now my wife says this phrase and she knows it it angers me greatly 
Are you a, a, she says, you know, are you a Van Hagar guy or a Van Hagar guy? I know you're a a good friend with Sammy Hagar, but I do love the fact that you've chosen a Dave era, a David Lee Roth era song. So I was just reading about, uh, I read Ted Templeman's book, who was their producer for the first four albums. And, uh, he talked about the first part of hot picture for teachers actually, the Lambo hit uh, Eddie's Lambo at idle. And then he matched the drums to take off after about five seconds. If you listen to Hop Teacher, which is a great little thing, that's that's why I love Van Halen so much. See, you come to the podcast to hear about IndyCar stuff from team owners and drivers, but you leave learning about Lamborghinis and matching drum patterns in a Van Halen song. Mike, Michael it? Shank. We'd love we got you. it all here, man. We, we got it all, but anytime. Happy to always be here. Ninth appearance on the Weekend Indy Car. 14th now overall since I started this dumb little thing. Always appreciate awesome. you, brother, and taking yeah, part man. in the nonsense. Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs>